1: Hello and welcome to Your Book, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan. My novel Insatiable, which is one of Waterstone's best books of 2021 and one of Apple's best audiobooks of 2021, is now available to pre-order in paperback from Waterstones. The special edition has bonus content and hooray, sprayed edges, or spreadges, as the cool kids put it. Waterstones also have exclusive signed copies of my new novel, Careering, which is coming in March. Stylist and Good Housekeeping have both picked it as one of their top novels for 2022. It's available for your book listeners to pre-order from waterstones.com. Now on to today's guest, Sophia money Sophia is a journalist, the author of fabulous romantic comedies and one of my favourite people on the internet. We spent the afternoon in front of the fire with Sophia, eating French fancies and talking about P.G. Woodhouse, Sarah Waters and her author parents. And we perused her spectacular collection of vintage Mills and Boone listen out for a surprise we have a visit from a special guest who comes in at the end to join the fun I want to start by asking you about a book. And this is a book that I have no excuse for not having read yet. And I've not read it yet. um, And I really, really want to do it. But I'm quite scared of it. Can you guess what I'm going to say? I
2: can't tell what you're looking at. Is it It Hamlet? It's Hamlet. It's Hamlet. I didn't read it for ages as well. Because I think um, I I was worried that I don't know Hamlet. I have seen Hamlet on stage before. Like, I think I went maybe at school. And I didn't understand very much of it. Um, So I, I think a lot of people have been... Probably, I spoke to someone else actually about this about Hamlet and they said they'd been put off because they didn't know very much about Hamlet. And actually then you read it and I still know nothing about Hamlet. Really. <laughs> um, apart from, you know, that famous The Skull scene, mm. whoever like Benedict Cumberbatch holding up the skull whenever he did it, if he did it. Um, but I read it and actually what it is, it's more a book about grief and actually it's, well, a novel about grief and it's one of the most amazing novels about grief I think I've read, like a mother's grief, basically. Do you know any of the story? Uh, no. <laughs> it's basically um, inspired by Shakespeare's son, who was called Hamnet, I think. Am I going to get this wrong now? So, yeah, Hamnet, um, who died when he was 11. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, and Maggie Farrell has taken that and written the most beautiful um, account of, of a mother's grief. Uh, and actually what's clever I didn't even notice it I think it might have been a friend of mine a more clever friend of mine who pointed out at the end Shakespeare's actually never mentioned by name I think it's him the whole way through I don't think you even get Will or William
1: so it's as told by his wife it's
2: as told by his wife Um, so he is obviously the sort of shadowy figure throughout Mm. Um, but actually for those who are put off because they think well i don't know much about shakespeare and shakespeare i find shakespeare very difficult or challenging or whatever doesn't actually matter at all you don't really don't need to know anything about shakespeare or have ever read any shakespeare or studied it it's just a really wonderful very 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 uh, moving story about about grief
1: so cuz i i think i've been in my head like oh it's um it's people throwing going to the toilet in the bucket and throwing out the window yeah. but <laughs>
2: Is it That's closer to something like American Wife, which I just re-read. oh my god, American no, I can't Wife? Stop thinking about it, hang on. Why would American Wife be about because grief? it's the wife of oh, a I very see, famous it, right? Um, high-profile person and it is about grief because she
1: can't get over andrew imhoff who she oh killed yes, in the accident.
2: that's true oh yeah yeah i've read american wife a while ago now but i yeah that was the first one of hers i read on my way out of a no, <laughs> no, no 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 it's not no it is that's a really fair actually very yeah astute comparison um i suppose this is sort of buckets of we being thrown out of the of the window onto the sort of cobbled streets below it is a bit of that and actually i think the wife she's like a sort of um apothecarist, apothecary, apothecary. Oh. Um, so there's lots of sort of ye olde um, cures and things um, that they try, and that's all quite sort of atmospheric and evocative.
1: Is that something that you really enjoy in the book, that sense
2: of history I, and place, I really isn't? do. And actually, there's a couple of others here, but we'll get onto that. But weirdly, specifically Victorian. I was always quite obsessed with the Victorians, and so there's a couple of Sarah Waters buried under here. And also Elizabeth McNeil's second book. Do you know what I mean? She oh, wrote The Doll Factory, Dol Factory. Factory. And then Circus of Wonders was her second one, which I think I loved even more. Oh, let's get those sure, out. Yeah. Uh, here we go. So it's a proof. That's, that's um, Circus of Wonders, which is I can't recommend enough. It's basically about. That was a bit... out this year. Yeah. Beautiful proof. Yeah, it, yeah isn't it? Um, got the gold foil. So, so you read The Doll Factory, right, which is great. I have not actually read okay, The no, Doll no, Factory. No, no. Well, The Doll no. Factory is Victorian, and I think she just has that real ability of. Yeah, being able to sort of hear, like, horses clopping down the street. And, and you know, when you sort of watch a BBC period drama and they've sort of nailed that whole scene, mm. she Elizabeth McNeil sort of does it in a really magical way. And so this one, her second one, her second novel, is about a Victorian travelling circus. It's a bit like, <laughs> sort of, the greatest showman, but more realistic. Like, the actual sort of brutalities, presumably, mm. of being, you know, an exhibit in one of these in one of these circuses and there's a love story, a really wonderful love story runs throughout it. Um, And so, yeah, this, this really made me also want to try and give historical fiction a go myself. But I mean, Elizabeth McNeil, I actually messaged her when I finished this um, because I thought it was so wonderful. And she went to UEA. She used to work in PR. She was so funny. She came back and said, Oh, I used to send you press releases. And I, and so she used to work in PR and then she went to, UEA and did creative writing and then I think wrote the Doll Factory. I think she was working on that when she was there, um, and then wrote this. And she's just such a brilliant talent. They must have been an option because they'd make both of them would make really good TV series or films. She's just yeah, very 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 talented. And I am sold. I'm
1: definitely going to give that a go. But let's, yeah. like, let's go to Sarah Waters here. That has been on the on so the
2: telly. Sarah Waters. Yeah. Right. So so I remember actually being. I think it, I think the um, tipping the velvet came out. Mm. That's actually not a Victoria one. Tipping the velvet. I, mean, I think it came out as a teenager, and I remember being quite mm. scandalised. I think what she called Diana Rigg's daughter. what she called? Dark hair. Rachel Sterling. Mm. I think was one of them. And I remember being quite scandalised because the sex scenes are quite full on. I think. Did you ever see that adaptation? Yes. And I remember. Was sort of, yeah. There was lots of sort of. In fact, you for sort of yeah for writing erotic stuff. Actually, it's quite yeah. This is this is good sort of Victorian eroticism. This actually isn't my... So this is Tipping the Velvet, which I do love. My favourite one of Sarah Waters is Fingersmith. Have you read that? Which is so wonderful. I have not read Fingersmith. i very badly read it. No, 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 because no, you've you read it much more than me. But she... So I haven't got it because a friend... i come to her really late. It was in lockdown last year, at the beginning of lockdown, a friend of mine lent me Fingersmith, saying, oh my God, I can't believe you haven't read it. And I don't really want... There's a really good sort of twist Uh, i don't want to um it's like a really brilliant gear change about halfway through which i just don't think anyone could see coming if you're a reader and you're just like what and again it's very victorian and sort of um dickensian in terms of atmosphere and i just love that like getting lost in those worlds is that um, what you
1: were craving at the start of lockdown? A real sense of being in another time,
2: in another day, yeah. escaping the misery of 2020. What were we last April for? The misery of you know 1878 or something, and the sort of yeah stinking streets. Um, I did. I suddenly and then I went through a real. I try actually never to do this. I went through a real phase of them reading book after book after book of hers. Sort of gorging mm. in a way, which I actually think sometimes you can have too much of a good thing,
1: and then and things do blend into each other a bit, a and little can't bit remember them discreetly,
2: a little bit, and then also she's such a wonderful writer. I think you, it's it's sort of greedy in a way because yeah. you think, well, just pace yourself, like you know try not to swallow them all in one go just I have
1: had that when I'm like oh no I really want to treat myself I'm going to read something else and I look down and I'm like, oh no <laughs> or the same author yeah
2: yeah I suppose if you love someone then you want to carry on reading the same person but I just did I think I did about four in a row and then I was like okay probably probably we'll leave Victoria London for a bit and do something contemporary
1: sort of walk down the road and be like there's a Tesco metro I don't understand <laughs> yes!
2: Where are all the men in top hats (laughs)
1: Yeah, I've been eyeing up this book which I'm desperate to ask you about because it
2: looks amazing Mostly
1: Men by Lynn Barber so
2: the reason I got that was my an old colleague when I worked at Tatler I think he had a copy of it and I was doing interviews at Tatler and I've always been really I find when I'm doing journalism I find doing interviews it's like quite intimidating and I like just being sent off to interview you know a famous person or you know not offending them and not upsetting them quite difficult. So I remember David recommending that I get what this... What you do? But like, well, like, what do you know what I mean? Like, increasingly these days, you've got to be so careful, I think. You're not allowed to ask the celebrity this. You're not allowed to ask the celebrity that. You've got to be sort of quite careful, I guess, with certain interviews particularly Tatler I think you just have to sort of sent like, off to interview lots of posh I people you know lots of dukes I was constantly interviewing dukes
1: I can't going and like pulling your trousers down and farting your... <laughs> I don't understand why they're all so upset with me
2: <laughs> no it wasn't that bad but I do remember interviewing loads of dukes at Tatler and always being quite you know like quite intimidated rocking up at Beaver Castle or uh, what's the one that Harry Potter's at Annick to interview the Duke of Northumberland once and he'd be like uh... um, anyway to try and stop being so pathetic I remember David saying well why don't you read you know Lynn Barber's book Mostly Men which is old but you know she's like very 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 experienced old hand interviewing and it is the most extraordinary so I got this on eBay I think and it is the most extraordinary book when was it published it was published in uh, first published 1991 oh, wow. so they're all interviews as, as the title would suggest they're mostly interviews with men um, there it's are a couple of women makes who sneak think in think of something Janie Lloyd Fox might have published
1: <laughs> in the Jilly Cooper universe. Yes.
2: yeah it 's true that 's really true but and, and the interviews are i mean they are extraordinary in fact as as, as homework for this I, was start, I read I was reading one this morning it 's one with Jimmy Savile, which is actually quite hard to read because I think it was in one thousand nine hundred and ninety and she goes on a tour of Stoke Mandeville with him and it 's just oh, extraordinary it 's like lowering wow. the tone to read out a bit it just is. Oh, it was a real, like, moment in time. Well, oh, this think,
1: is what I failed as a journalist in this interview, because I'm like, should I ask you to read? I don't know. Well, I don't
2: know. Well, we could always cut it out, it but a there's bit, a bit at the end. It's, it's a bit almost, end. like, haunted. Here, animals. but listen to this. So this was written in. This is amazing. This is written in. She did this interview, July 1990, the penultimate paragraph. Touring the Stoke of Awards with him is a disconcerting experience. When he coos over a young woman paraplegic, Aha, now I can have my way with you, my dear. One can only pray that she appreciates the joke. I remember the most frightening thing anyone ever said to me was when I was being wheeled in for a back operation. This is Lynn Barber speaking. And the junior doctor remarked cheerily, we'll have you walking again in two weeks. And if we don't, we'll send Jimmy Savile to visit you. Much as I admire Sir James Savile, he is someone I never, ever want to be visited by. Isn't that extraordinary? And there are so many paragraphs in this. um, There are lots of paragraphs in this interview, actually. I was like, oh my God, I might, I mean, I almost might tweet that because it's so, it's so sort of,
1: and that's over thirty bizarre. years old. That but everyone yeah, but then I sort of didn't want to get
2: land linen. Lan yeah, I mean, it's, it's she dresses it. Even then, she dresses it. The fact that for the past several years, tabloid journalists have been saying that he must have a serious skeleton in his cupboard, otherwise he would have got knighthood by now, and he just he just obviously denies it. It's it's anyway anyway. There's a really good one with the, the Getty, the original Getty, John Getty. Um, it's just really brilliant sort of historical account of all these interviews as well as being quite a good lesson in sort of how to do interviews um, so I love this and I just dip into it you know because they're all how many you know there must be like 30 interviews or something you can just dip in if you want to read Lynn Barber on Barry Manilow for example I really do <laughs> <laughs> well I think I probably got it for about three quid on eBay but anyway yeah it was, it's was. it been super useful and sort of fascinating as well as a bit depressing in moments yeah, but so, yeah. I guess
1: that's I think on. am in a way lots of things do not change nearly as much as we believe them to have changed but then,
2: No.
1: I think it's really good that that remains as a record of how we thought about things and exactly. what we did and I think we need to remember.
2: How some things change and also just as a sort of historical document this book of historical yeah, tome, it's just so fascinating all these, I mean imagine having the access to all these people that she's interviewed yeah. Ronnie Biggs, the Roald Darwin in here is really good Oh, my gosh. I reread that again this morning, and he's sort of, he he. Oh yeah, there's a really brilliant bit when the, they have quite a posh lunch outside. You know that amazing house that he had. He lived in the Cotswolds. Was it the Cotswolds? Cotsw- no, it was Oxfordshire okay. somewhere. Or somewhere. It was sort of Buckinghamshire. That's. What that I mean, up? it's sort of around there. It's a sort of. I think it had beams, sort of Tudory thing. Anyway, but they have this quite posh lunch outside. Oh yeah, here we go. We adjourn for lunch in the garden, where an array of ex- exquisite salads await us under the vine trellis. It's all very elegant until we come to pudding. Pudding. It's a Tupperware box full of chocolate bars. And then he goes on this great thing about how he's, he's obsessed with like Twixes, Crunchies, Mars, Malteser's, Kit Kats, and therefore Willy Wonka, right? Because he was obsessed with chocolate. And obviously he knew lots about chocolates. In fact, it made me slightly to think, I want to write about this guy. So the, Mar- the original Mars guy, John Forrest Mars, was the Leonardo. His father had a little chocolate factory in Chicago and invented Milky Way. But he told his son... There's no room here for both of us, so John went off to England and invented the Mars bar over here. Now, I mean, oh, I, quite want to wow. read, I quite want a TV series like on that, or a book on that. Anyway, so then right, I mean, then Roldal just sits. How is
1: way with chocolate? Yes, please. <laughs> yes.
2: Exactly. So then Roald Dahl just goes off on on this interview about his favourite chocolate bars and about how in his study he has a ball that is the size of a tennis ball but 20 times as heavy, made from all the silver paper, wrapped together from all the chocolate bars that he's eaten in his life. Anyway, so it just has all these little glimpses into these amazing people, this book, that you just wouldn't find, you know, we can find out so much on the you know if I'm ever researching stuff for my journalism work you know you obviously go straight onto the internet but there's stuff that this none of this would necessarily be on there because there's super old interviews that you'd never find anywhere else so yeah I love it
1: and I know with Roald Dahl you know problematic as he is um, mm. you know Charlie and the Chocolate Factory even now I never forget it so much about yearning and wanting and not having and yeah. you know in a world where you feel like you don't have and everyone, and that Charlie as a character isn't you know, greedy yourself as you're grasping. He's not he's just sort of hopeful. Yes. And you root for him. Yeah. And is it Grandpa Joe? He's his sort of Grandpa cheerleader. Joe gets Grandpa Joe. Yeah.
2: Well, I think that's true with all his books, isn't it, in a way? There's the sort of adults are all quite often I'm thinking about Matilda now as well. Mm. She's quite hopeful. You know, Matilda has that amazing skill, this sort of magical skill, and is the good, sort of pure child in a world of less pure actually bad grown-ups mm. like miss trunchbull and her parents and then there's lovely miss honey i can't remember james and the giant peach is that the same Are there adults horrible ants and horrible then Lance. i can't quite, quite, quite remember how
1: they get the, the peach out i believe there's birds and so they have a... loads of insects Are there yeah, animals i think so and the insects live in the peach is he james he wrote get that? Get i mean that's a bit shrunk. of an older one isn't it <laughs> yeah but that obviously there's someone there, he, every time he ate a chocolate bar in his back garden in his sort of, you know, palatial mm. surroundings and can't quite believe that his life has taken such a turn that he can have as much
2: chocolate as he wants whenever he wants it. Yeah, he just happens himself to his Tupperware. No, I, yeah, I, um, I suppose that's... And like... that you
1: think that's an impressive thing to bring for someone for, for pudding. And it kind of is actually, isn't it? Because yeah. how many times have you had a disappointing posh
2: pudding and thought, I'd quite like a dairy milk at this point, to be honest. I feel like we did this at... Um, one of those endless mad pieces that we did at Tatler how people yeah I'm sure we declared at some point the chicest thing to do was to to cook some you know smart dinner and then throw a bar of dairy milk on the table as pudding (laughs) which is like really easy and lovely to do that and a coffee you're done oh the dream Mm. Um, Mm.
1: do you have any food books you love be they recipe books or novels where food features Um, actually do you know one of the books
2: I would have loved to have here but because everything so much is still in boxes I don't it'll be next door in a box somewhere i was going to mention my well it's, a, it's slightly cheating but it's laura freeman's the reading cure because um, oh. i used to work with laura and she wrote this really moving book about how she i always hesitate to say the words got over anorexia because i think a lot of people say you sort of never get over it you're yeah. constantly sort of dealing with it anyway how she um sort of overcame her anorexia by reading books about food and it started, it's started such a beautiful book um It starts off with, I think there's one Christmas where she decides to set herself the challenge of reading every... or One year, actually, when she sets herself the challenge of reading every single book that Dickens ever wrote. In the sort of way, I remember this from a lot of my friends who had... Problems like with eating. There's a form you try and exert a form of control over sort of lots of aspects of your life. Mm-hmm. And Laura, I think this was a form of control. She wanted, she sort of set herself this very difficult task of reading every single book that Dickens wrote in a year. I don't know how many books Dickens wrote, but a lot, right? So it was quite a big. And they're all big books. So they're all, yeah, they're not sort of slimline volumes. Maybe apart from Christmas Carol, probably maybe is the skinniest. Anyway, um, so she starts reading all these books, and then she she has this sort of epiphany where she says she realises that in Dickens, maybe a bit like in Roald Dahl, um, the jolly characters, and this is certainly true, I think, in A Christmas Carol, um, are the ones who eat, Mm. and the ones who who are sort of fun and kind are the ones who get stuck into the figgy pudding or the goose or whatever Christmas carol experts will shout at me but um, you know the Cratchits get their goose and then they're the lovely ones whereas there's Scrooge who sort of is very miserly and, and tiny and measly about food I think mm. and, and so it kick starts this journey that Laura um, goes on herself I hate talking about people going on journeys but um, but she does and she starts reading lots of books about food and there's a brilliant chapter quite early on where she goes through she goes through i think she calls her, it her war poet's phase and she reads about the joy that, that they would take um, that soldiers in the trenches would take in a cup of a proper cup of char a cup of tea and Laura writes about how at the time she had worked out she'd stopped drinking milk in her tea because she worked out that the milk that you put into a cup of tea is, I don't know, say 20 calories per cup of tea. And she worked out if she had four cups of tea a day, that was 80 calories a day times seven, what's 80 times seven, 560, maybe? 560 calories a week that she could, in that, you know, very um, controlling way had, worked, had just decided to strip milk out because that would cut back her calorific intake. And she really cleverly writes about reading about the war poets and their love of tea and then managing to bring herself to have a proper cup of tea. And it's so fun. it was when I was working with her on a journalist on a news desk, and um I was always the one I have quite firm opinions about tea I don't like other people making my tea because I know exactly how I like it um I can be quite a control freak about things and so I used to do the tea run and I went downstairs and got a tray you know it was just like crappy polystyrene cups and um not very exciting but it was proper tea and she Laura always said no whenever I said I was off downstairs to get a Tea, she'd always be like no I'm okay and then one time she said yes and she said she was sort of so proud of it she sat there and she was so proud of herself sort of having her proper cup of char and milk and the tea exactly and I sort of wailed when I read this because I didn't know any of this at the time I didn't know that she was having such a hard time so I really that the reading cure is that's one of my favorite books and I feel a bit bad talking about it here because you know she's a mate but it is really a brilliant book and then I think she goes on to Roald Dahl it's just a really wonderful evocative um book with lots of foodie things and like literature it's
1: so moving though I mean that you it know was, yeah. having and you're part of that story and that you know it's part of the canon just yeah. as the chocolate is I'm quite
2: yeah. emotional
1: that thinking about what <laughs> that you never ever know no, what someone is living what or what they're doing through. and then you know just sort of doing a tea run which feels like to you the most normal thing in the world so and so her really not
2: yeah and she then sat there at her desk probably feeling really proud of herself that she'd managed to like have that extra 20 calories in her cup of tea it was yeah i yeah.
1: haven't read the reading cure, but i'm going to yeah rush out and buy it immediately it's
2: very wonderful um i think she found it quite hard to write but i think it was very cathartic and it's a really really brilliant book so yeah i really recommend it i think mothers that you know anybody who's got children going through anorexia or you know it's it's useful it's the clearest depiction i've ever read about the the mental sort of torture of it all and how, you know, mentally you feel when you're in the grip of that. She's, she's really brilliant.
1: Because oh, I just um, interviewed Ivana Lynch, who wrote a memoir about her eating sort mm. of the opposite of butterfly hunting, and I was really taken aback by how well she writes and also how she really captures what her family had gone through, and I've read things that really are quite, you know, miserable and quite sort of one note, and there's a real sort of fullness and life and a, a gallows humour but also that it's, that's
2: clever of her it's
1: entirely that. about you know the emotional side and the obsessive side and it's not she never I don't think at any point she ever says like I weighed this and I was this size and mm. it's really kind of thoughtful in that way I
2: think people are quite careful about that now aren't they not to because one person's size is yeah. you know completely different for another person's size yeah it's really weird I, I feel like our generation our age right I'm 36 I remember being at school and it was, like, rife. It was really bad and and not very talked about. Mm. We had this hideous thing at my school where we were weighed... It was a boarding school and we were weighed at the start, the beginning and end of every term. Oh and if God. you'd lost... It seems extraordinary now. If you had lost too much weight, you'd be put on... You'd have to go and eat in the, in the sand with um, the nurse. And the way that all the girls knew if you were like sort of on sand watch was you'd have to get your tray at lunch and you'd literally have to walk there was a spiral staircase that went up to the sand you'd have to walk through the dining room and then go up that spiral staircase with your tray I mean it's just sort of so medieval in a way that that's how it was treated really not that long ago like we're talking 20 years ago um, so I think anybody who can write about it now, I have so much admiration for. Because
1: that's pretty much the opposite of any kind of effective treatment. Surely, yeah, if someone is that unhappy, to yeah, exactly, isolate sort of publicly, further.
2: it's yeah, publicly shaming. It does feel sort of yeah, like I said, very medieval, or more Victorian in a way, sort of treating girls who are really struggling. Yeah, sort of publicly shaming them. Um, so I think that's why I found Laura's book so moving as well, and anyone who can write about it, because it was so much a part of like my teenage years. I just remember constantly sort of friends going through obviously really bad moments. So, yeah, i really take my hat off to anybody who can do it.
1: I think in those sort of equally teen-tastic, perhaps slightly
2: cheery <laughs> way. I've I just died, I believe. Yeah, that, that a Mills and Boons. Yes! So I've, bought out, so I've, I've got a pile of them. So for um, my last book, the mother character is obsessed with Mills and Boons, and... Um, my heroine starts sneaking into her room when she's a teenager to to steal her mother's Mills and Boone, and it sort of kickstarts this like romantic explosion. Um, and so I ordered loads of these. You know, on eBay you get you can get. I think people sell Mills and Boone, old Mills and Boone, by the sort of yard practically, oh, oh, <laughs> or by the how? box, by the, yeah. So I bought. I mean, I think I've got more somewhere, but I just I just love the covers.
1: These covers are fantastic.
2: Vision so of love. Of... And there's this sort of quite dashing, sandy-haired oh. man with his jumper knotted around his neck. And a, it's like, no, it's not a Christmas tree, is it? It's some sort of tree.
1: Oh, because yeah, I thought it looked kind of snowy. Oh, look, but now I for see you. a palm tree Oranges. in the sunset.
2: Ooh. <laughs> Spitfire. <laughs> I had to take a picture of that. You have to, yeah.
1: Sexy. I like Man for Hire. And I've got Highland Gathering.
2: <laughs> They're so great. And people are you know what? I just, I hate... Literary snobbery, don't we all? But, um.
1: Yes, you wrote that brilliant piece, that whole. I just other really eye paper strongly
2: about, about it. That's. And Boone. I mean, snobbery of any form is is obviously very tedious, isn't it? But literary snobbery, making someone else feel small about what they choose to get into the bath with or get into bed with or lunch over reading, like, why Why does anybody need to do that? If someone likes, you know, Mills and Boone, great. They're really brilliant love stories, wow. and you can get swept up.
1: We have it going back to Dukes. We have a mutual acquaintance, I guess. Um, uh, the Duchess of York, she's still the Duchess of York. Oh, Sarah Duggy. Ferguson. yes. Fergie, who. Um, oh, you interviewed her, didn't
2: you? I did. Uh, and I
1: mentioned you. And sweet. she said, That's oh, the fire money, Coots is fantastic. In that really husky way. <laughs> That's so sweet. But I've really enjoyed her heart for a compass. Do you know what?
2: I have got it and I haven't, I feel really bad. Me, here's me, waxing lyrical about Mel's and Boone, and I haven't read it. Yeah, I just think people who are snotty about this sort of thing are mean fine read your very 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 highbrow you know books if you like and and then other people can read mills and boons like why judge people really it really drives me mad and i I, not long after i wrote that piece which was in the summer i then did a i was on a panel chat at the lovely prima donna festival and that was all about romantic books and novels and we got onto the topic of snobbery and then we got and i made the point I make in my in that piece which is and it's not to, I'm not trying to trash Sally Rooney in any way but you know Normal People is a love story it's a very brilliantly written um teenage love story. And
1: quite honestly, I think that's sold in its squillions, not necessarily because everyone, you know, like the fine literary style, because people exactly. shit Marianne and Connor.
2: Because she hasn't got speech marks. I don't think it's anything to do that. Exactly, it's because people love a love story. And, and, I, and I, you know, had, had normal people had a very, very different cover that maybe looked a bit more like impetuous masquerade, Ooh. people might have been snottier about it. And I'm not saying they should be at all, but I'm just, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to marketing, doesn't it? But I do think anybody, anybody who, sniffs at a book a certain kind of book it just drives me mad like whether that's whether someone's sniffing at someone for reading highbrow stuff or lowbrow stuff like just everyone can read what they like frankly in my the thing book because
1: you know deep down we all know that people the difference between what the books that are sort of you know talked about and verified by, and the things that people are actually yes. buying and excited about yeah. reading I can't and can't wait
2: I've... to get into bed with yes which might not be the latest 900 page book about Stalingrad do you know what I mean like it might be a Mills and Boone. Why not? Frankly, it's so stupid. Marianne, I always say, Marianne Keyes is so good on this on her Desert Island Discs when it was a Kirsty Young one and she, and Cassie sort of asks her about, you know, this topic mm. and how does she feel to sort of be denigrated, I suppose. Not, not denigrated, but has sort of cast as a writer of popular fiction in that's in the way that populars is as a slightly damning word and Marianne comes straight back and says, well, it's, it's, it's popular, isn't it? And and she's so right. You know, the, like millions and millions of people have bought Marianne's wonderful books, and Absolutely. anybody being snotty about that is just it's madness.
1: And honestly, I'm, I have been so comforted and so helped by Marianne's all of the books. They're like wise, exactly. And look at Rachel, yeah. yeah look at Rachel's holiday. It's and if they the had been that in tackles. a really sort of you know. I don't know. I'm a big fan of, of Faber as a publisher, and I think do fantastic things, but they've had a sort of very like obscure Faber. You know, I I might not have found them when I needed
2: them the most. Yeah, exactly. True. I think. Um, yeah, I agree with all of that. I just think each of their own. Really, don't judge others. I mean, I, I always say this about TV as well. People are snotty about people, people's TV watching habits. Just let everyone read what they want. And why? Why make? Why make yourself try and feel better? Because that's what it is, snobbery. It's trying to yeah. make yourself feel better by um, slagging off someone else's choices. And it's just no. really mean. more
1: than ever when there is so damn much to read and watch and it's endless. And I don't yeah. think there's really any point. When, when there was sort of like, oh, the, the 20 books you must read this year, it really was just those 20 books. Like, fair enough, have a go. But now yeah. it does feel infinite.
2: The other thing that I got into this conversation, this, this, this applies to um, this conversation as well. Have you read The Idea Review by Robin Lee?
1: oh do you know I've had that recommended to me so many well, times well because I got into
2: a conversation at a, at a hen a, party this summer great, that's a cover it so. well this is a proof I think with Natasha Lunn about this she said she was reading The Idea of You by Robin Lee and that she knew various people who were being really snotty about it. So do you know the premise? It's basically Harry Styles fan fiction. Oh
1: no, I but didn't it's a know novel.
2: That. So it's basically I think he's called Hayes. It's a thirty-nine-year-old divorced mum, mom because it's in America, who takes her teenage daughters to see the world's biggest boy band, and they I think they have back, they get backstage tickets or something, and they're in the lineup, and the daughters are meeting the boys, and then Hayes, Harry. Essentially, immediately there's chemistry with the mum, the 39 year old divorced mum, and then they sort of, you know, I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but they, you know, they embark on this sort of passionate affair. And it's, I, as Natasha said, you know, you'll read it in sort of 48 hours, if not 24 hours, but it's so wonderful. And I got really swept up in it. And God, I, the last, I'm not going to read the last line, but I remember doing this, that dramatic thing, I, whenever, wherever I was reading it, of clapping my hand on my chest when I finished, because it's really moving the end. And again, it's not you know lots of people would probably be really snotty about it, but it, it but it's really really escapist and and brilliant, and that that's the other thing at the moment, which is if people want to escape, frankly, <laughs> everything that's going on out, outside in the real world, why not pick up something wonderful like this, which you properly. Probably can't put down. It's really fun. I
1: hesitate to sort of describe a 39-year-old woman as an older woman at the age of 36 myself. <laughs> but that's something that you don't see. And I think it's interesting that it's so, you know, laughed at and sneered at and dismissed as frivolous. And it's like, no, it's really radical to have that as a story.
2: Yeah, to exactly. Have someone pursuing satisfaction and fulfilment and joy oh, yeah, I totally exactly what you mean pencil. about the older woman. Exactly. Well, a 39-year-old woman, and I think he's 19 or something, it's quite empowering in a way to have that. And the sex is great. I really actually was sort of slightly taking notes about how she... It's very hard to write chemistry. I try and, you know, a lot of the sex scenes that I write, I try and write them funny because I always think sex is quite, you know, funny sort of hobby isn't it like <laughs> what are we doing why are you so, putting that there who, who came up with this <laughs> yeah exactly how have we survived as a species this it is a battling. really bizarre pastime you um, did excellent funny sexy but, I have thank ruffled. you but it but it's and i but i find it really hard to do you know to try and do a sort of serious moving like really intimate sexing but she i've just opened it on a page and he's just gone we're almost out of condoms he stated <laughs> matter-of-factly so that's like less touching perhaps but um a real though oh that's when he. i think he sent his bodyguard out to buy condoms i just remembered <laughs> she yeah there's definitely like this sort of sexy chemistry in this so i really recommend it for a for a bit of escapist a romp basically it's it's great
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss.
1: We'll be back with Sophia soon, but now it's time for my steal of the week. I've chosen "Don't Tell Alfred," a Nancy Mitford classic. Fanny, who we first met in *The Pursuit of Love*, is off to Paris to run the British embassy with her husband, the eponymous Alfred. But her glamorous role becomes chaotic thanks to rebellions, runaway pop stars, her dreamy niece Northie, and confusion all round. This is giddy, smart, escapist fun, and Lord knows we all need a vicarious trip to Paris. Don't Tell Alfred is published by Penguin, and out now. Now, back to Sophia. But that's the funny thing, isn't it? That obviously, there's sort of, there's a bit of an out loud sneer, and I'd not heard anything negative about that, but I've just had a, a few pals what's that screenshots being like, oh my God, this book, I love it so much.
2: Mm-hmm. Maybe we've changed a bit about the snobbery about sort of the idea that you're being piled high and selling tens of thousands of copies is a sort of, is looked down on. But who want, who doesn't want to sell tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands quite. of copies? It's so mad. Surely, if you're a writer, I mean, that's not, you know, the only goal, but that is potentially well, a goal. I
1: think you write to reach people and you write yeah. to, you know, to entertain and move and transport. And like, personally, I'd much rather, you know, someone who sort of said, like, I just, I read it in you know a weekend Yeah, when I I wanted to read it again and rather than that sort of like, I think you know this is a searing
2: sort of language I mean I'd like
1: to do that too but um
2: <laughs> do you have know, that? so funny when people do you ever get that when people message you I sometimes think they say I inhaled it in like Three hours, and I sometimes think, Oh god, I shouldn't be that easy. <laughs> <When you're laughs> Should be more bathroom, like sort of like, maybe eight hours. hours we so chuck months, another log on the mornings. Um,
1: Where you've been sitting down, working, working, working. Yeah, like, that took oh me god, months that... to write. You can't
2: just whip through it in three hours. I'm never quite sure people can read. Maybe some people can read books in three hours. But yeah, it's a funny one. Hang on.
1: What is oh, the. Yeah. Can you. Think of a book of how. When, when did you last really feel like, or the first time you were like I can't do anything until I have finished this
2: the first time I'm trying to think when I was younger it probably would have been like a Jilly early Jilly Cooper maybe um the most recent one well that would be up there what else have I read recently that I've really 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 inhaled oh is there one on here I think oh my god well can we talk about well this basically was a book that I I could I I just... It's gone in straight into my top so, five oh or three wow. favourites, I think. And this is Still Life by Sarah Women. Sarah Wineman. Wineman, Still Life. And I, I, I did read When God Was a Rabbit, which was one of hers, but I can't remember... I'm really bad at remembering books. I, I love... Obviously love books. Big fan of books. Quite often, once I've read one, and I'll have a sort, of, a, a sort of vague, nebulous feeling about a book will stay in my head, but ask me to regurgitate a plot, and I couldn't necessarily tell you. Um, so I'm very bad at remembering them. But So I can't remember when God was a rabbit. But so this one, Still Life, which came out recently. I think I just got it. I've got a really good independent bookshop up the road here in Crystal Palace. And I oh, went in and got it. Looks at a Crow. Yes. So good. Run by lovely Jonathan. And I got it in there because I'd heard good things about it. And it is... So it starts at the end of Second World War. And then it sort of dots about between London. And then a lot of it is set in Florence. And it's just the... It's the characters, I think. Her characters are really really wonderful and she absolutely has that ability which is really hard I think to make you lol properly laugh with certain characters and certain pages and then weep on the next page and I think that's such a difficult thing to pull off like obviously a lot of writers can do you know intensely serious and a lot of writers can be very funny but I think managing to do both is very difficult I think the same thing about um, Sora and Bliss I think she pulled Mm. Mason pulls that off as well how writers can make you roar with laughter and then sort of roar with tears, the next page. I oh, just... I'm
1: desperate to read that, because I love Tin Man. I couldn't tell you anything Should about you it. Man. I just remember reading it. I think so.
2: I read yes. it. On... When Gobbles a Rabbit, a Year of Marvellous Ways, Tin Man. I remember reading
1: it on holiday and getting to the end and weeping and just feeling very... Because you finished like it so
2: beautiful, or both.
1: All of it, <laughs> I think. Lots of highs and lows. This,
2: is, this actually made me want to go to... Um, most of it is set in Florence, to be honest, and it's and, and it's just the characters are so wonderful, and there's a talking parrot who makes you laugh the whole way through, and her names are very good. Like, yeah, Evelyn is a main character, and there's Ulysses as a main character. Her names, I oh, I love you know, names are so important. Um, and it, but I did want to go, so I'm finishing off my new book at the moment. It, I was going to try and go to Florence and stay in a sort of cheap Airbnb for sort of a week in November and try and finish I had this grand artistic idea of finishing my book out there and then I realised my passport was out of date so I needed to get a new one. and <laughs> that's fine but I just wanted to go to Florence and drink wine and eat pasta and, and go to all the places that, um, that, that these characters do in here no it's... I want
1: that too but I'm going to read this book hey. and I will get to go and then
2: can we talk about it it's, yeah I, it's just her writing yeah and the sense of place is really magical
1: Oh yeah, but we can talk about Summer and Bliss, which I was i was almost annoyed
2: by how brilliant. good that was. I sort <laughs> of with it. <laughs> Another writer friend of mine messaged me saying, how can we write like this? Yeah, I mean, it was just so sensationally brilliant, wasn't it? And she absolutely, like the, I've got quite a sort of dysfunctional English family in that sort of way. And I totally got... Aren't there? There are some quite hideous Christmases, aren't there, mm. in that when they all have to gather. And the amazing aunt,
1: who again has, I can't remember what she's called, but she's got an incredible name. She's not yes. Chance, is she?
2: And she's the nice one, isn't she? She comes and when but, she's sitting on her bed, she comes and talks to her yeah, at one point. But
1: it's almost like the slow reveal and the myth of it being like, oh, these like are ghastly mother's family and they're just dreadful, and then yeah. learning who the real villains are. And there's books I love that are so rare and it's so brilliantly done. And I think this is Rachel's holiday too, when mm. you've got the unreliable narrator and the narrator is only learning how unreliable they are. Exactly. The
2: the yes, that's so true about the parents because I think at the beginning of and Bliss. We're sort of amused by the family, aren't we? We're sort of amused by the madness of her parents. And then we, is it fair to say that we, it, as, it, as you get through the book, it becomes apparent they're sort of amusing but also sort of awful, it's really the, the dysfunctional, and yeah. darker
1: than we think. And in yeah. the nicest, nicest way, it's almost like a trope. Because I that sort of lovely, cozy, rackety, eccentric family setup, we think we know it mm. from the books we love. And there's a slow twist and you're like, oh, yeah. I like, there's this weird book. Have you read any Laurie Colwyn?
2: I have just read one, um, uh, the one set in New York, are they all set in New York? We're pretty much all set okay, in New York. Okay, good, I that's Happy um, All the Time? Yes, I think it's Happy All the Time, about like two men yes. getting married. Yes, t- Guido. Yes, yes, but also good names, yeah.
1: There's one, and I think Happy All the Time is her best novel, I've now read all the novels. Um, just which just released some? Yeah, they're mm. a bit tricky to get a hold of, so my editions my are quite odd, and some are really quite fabulously odd, but I love oh, them. nice. Um, family happiness it's about the heroine Polly is having an affair with this lovely painter and it's like how two really nice people that you adore can be causing themselves and their family so much misery but it's all secret. Uh, family happiness in a way is a little bit like um, sorrow and bliss and it's playing with that notion of the anxious wasp but happy all the time.: I think the best. dynamics
2: between parents and children, mm. and then siblings. And I think, yeah, I'm always drawn to books where there are complicated family oh, it's relationships. The, her relationship
1: with her sister in Sorrow and Bliss yeah. it just made me want
2: to weep and crumple. And when is it? Is it her sister who comes and get her, gets her at one point? Yeah. And there's a real breakdown... Yeah, it's really that's how it started, wasn't it? I think I have listened or I've read an interview with her. I think it started she wanted to start writing it as the sister's relationship and then it sort of grew from there. But she was she felt pretty despondent about it at certain points, I think, didn't she, Meg Mason? I think she sort of wasn't very confident about the book at all. Um, but it just, yeah, it was my, yeah, one of my favourite ones this summer. It was just extraordinary. I might even reread. I, I've actually, I don't think I've ever reread a book, but I really? would. Yeah, no, I no- I normally just think, okay, well, that was really beautiful and I loved it. Uh, but I don't need to, yeah. Because so, there are so yes, many books to read. Well, yeah, because I just, there were so many But I don't know about you. Now that you write books, do you read them in a very different way? I read much more forensically, I think, than I used to, which makes it sound very unromantic. Like I'm sitting there sort of with my pencil. Making notes, I'm not. But I do, I find down to sort of sentence structure and words used, I'm much more interested in it than I used to be because I used to sort of just think, oh, that's, you know, lovely. A Sort of, you get an overarching picture of a chapter or a book or a story. And now I really, I'm like, hmm, that's interesting how they've structured that little bit. And like even chapter structure and stuff, I'm quite like, oh, that's interesting where they just stopped. So... um, Something I
1: notice is... When, something, when I don't like the way something's done, I feel taken out of the story. Mm, and well, rereading, yeah. I feel like much more of a student. And that's where I really learn how things have been done. And, have been and also the bits that are memorable in the books. And the bits that I come back to and think, oh, I love this bit. Like, quite often they're not necessarily like, oh, it's a big plot point. It's a
2: very subtle little thing. Yeah. Which is so annoying. So that, oh, they're these. so clever. They did that.
1: Or just knowing, having you know, characters who don't necessarily contribute to the plot. Shop. And again, I think Marion Keyes does this so brilliantly, where there are so many people who populate her novels, and you believe in everyone. Like everyone who mm-hmm. works in the offices, you know, together. Yeah. You could, they could be in their own
2: novel. Yeah. Do you she never even
1: read Julie it. Cooper?
2: I have. Have I reread? <sighs> I must have like dipped in. I just no. I have. I probably have. It's a really sweeping statement. I've never read any of it. That's silly, isn't it? I. I, ha- I must. When I was a teenager, I probably did go back over the sort of Octavias and things, but I haven't reread. I haven't reread any of the big ones. I haven't reread, you know, Riders, Rivals, or Polo, um, because then there were always more. You know, there were more recent mm-hmm. ones. Um, oh, we've got a visitor. Should we let her in? And then is that annoying? Hiya, how hey, you
1: hello. doing? Hello. Not too bad. Hello. And please Ooh, welcome yes. to the
2: podcast oh, oh, returning hi. guest Gavendra. Oh, hello,
3: hi. Sorry, I just sort of have crashed. Oh,
1: I, <laughs> I heard about French fancies, you see, mm-hmm. so I couldn't really resist because I was a bit <laughs> no, lonely at is home. Isn't too much of an ambush. I'd love to ask you both, like, what are the books that you share and that you lend each other? Did you, because well, you were both working together and we're And Thinking mm. of Tattler, Tatler. Yes. Mm-hmm. Did you do much sharing of books as mm. colleagues?
2: Guy's much cleverer than me, so. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, I just show off about it more. Um, no! You have lent me a book actually recently. No tell you what Gav's husband actually lent me exciting times Nisha Dolan yes I love that I don't think I've lent Gav anything very brilliant about
3: <laughs> that's not true no you let me handle it oh I let you handle it we talked about absolutely love I thought it was such a wonderful book
2: um, well, we're talking about that because Daisy was saying she. I think a lot of people and I felt this was quite intimidated to begin with because I didn't know Hamlet and I was like, well, you like, right. we must have to have an understanding of Hamlet before you read it. And I think someone was like, well, that's nonsense, actually. That no, know that and it.
3: I think it's such a kind of wonderful historical evocation, but at the same time, sort of personal, emotional, individual, and kind of uh, evocation of grief that mm.
1: transcends the centuries.
2: So she's much cleverer than me. All those words. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I know if is really pitching on the spot. Um,
2: yeah, I know. Because no, Andrew really has, the has the just car.
1: walked through the door. She's got a scarf on. <laughs>
3: well, I literally just came in for the French fancies and to say hi. I really wanted to ask oh.
1: you this, about this,
3: I have
2: to... So the reason I've got both of these out is because they're both... So my parents have both written books. So this is my mum's... This is so indulgent... Um, this is my mum's book about marmalade. So my mum... You mom... have given me that as well. Oh, I've given you a marmalade book. <laughs> my mum wrote... She's a, the world's best marmalade maker. I'm biased, so, obviously.
1: this is um, The Little Book of Marmalade book by of Lucy Deeds. Deeds. By Lucy
2: Deeds. Lovely foil I cover thought... She, isn't there
1: some official ranking? Isn't she
2: actually? The well, there is this maker. wonderful event. I um, have been to three times before, actually, in my life, called the World Marmalade Awards, which takes place in Cumbria every year. And I went up to that, and mum did get a gold medal at one stage for one of her marmalades, very exciting. Um, what,
1: was it? Uh, did it have any twist on the classic? For... Yeah. So
2: there are different. The World Marmalade Awards. They have like eleven or twelve categories. They have. It wasn't. There is. There's like boozy marmalade. There's children's marmalade. So lots of children enter. There's a really random ca- category which is campanologist marmalade. Isn't that? I think that's bell ringers. Oh, my... extraordinary. They have bell Ow. ringers. I didn't know that bell ringers. The Venn diagram of bell ringers and marmalade makers must be enormous. I don't. I didn't know that. <laughs> Um,
1: I feel like there must have been some bizarre accident that started all that off. <Ropes laughs> Maybe, I
2: suppose. Yeah, exactly. If you are the sort of good person who rings your church bell every Sunday, feasibly, you might also be the sort of good person who has time to make marmalade. I don't know if you're sort of retiring. And you're
3: equating the making of marmalade with virtue there, which I think is interesting. Yes. <laughs> Maybe that's yes, your muddled, brainwashed you. Yes.
1: Anyway. Guilt marmalade. Are you like, oh, yes. I've done a terrible thing, so I better with a, maybe, bit of bell ringing and a bit Maybe preserves. Not <laughs> um, your mum though. Your mum. No, no, no,
2: do, no. Do My mum is, is pure as the driven snow. So anyway, so she wrote this lovely book, and um, and it's got all these sorts of different marmalades in marmalade. Poor mum. And actually. Poor her four children, not poor her children, lucky her (laughs) four children. We were eating marmalade recipes for quite a long time while this book was being made. But Uh, it was all delicious.
1: To come over all QVC for a minute, blimey, that is a good looking book. I want to get that for everyone I know for Christmas. Yeah, you should too.
2: Yeah, it's a very good stocking filler. It's really fit. Very good stocking filler. It's just really sweet. Um, And there's like marmalade cocktails and things in there as well. It's really fun. Uh, so we so should, should now, now talk about... So sorry, now we have talking Lashimer, about my dad's book. Where the Ocean Meets the Sky. <laughs> so my dad's a sailor, well he wasn't a sailor, he worked in sort of finance really, but he um, he was also a mad, he is a mad sailor, and he sailed the, the Atlantic solo about f- 16 years ago when wow. he was 50, and so then he wrote a novel about it. He wrote it privately actually, um, and then a sort of nautical, or an adventure imprint picked it up. And published it commercially. Oh,
1: so it is a novel, it's not a kind of a. No, no, it's, no, no a... sorry,
2: it's not a novel, it's, it's non fiction. It's Dad's account. Oh. Look, here's a picture of my dad, Beardy. Luckily, the um, listeners can't necessarily. Use. That's my dad. He's actually naked in that picture, but you he's I mean? sailing. <laughs> This beardy. Well, well, you a don't sort of wear clothes to, to when cover you the, sail, I you think, <laughs> across the Atlantic. I think if you ask Ben Fogel or James Cracknell when they were rowing, you don't wear clothes. <laughs> I think because the salt would get into the clothes and it chafes you. So you just have to put on loads of sun cream. And a hat. And this is a picture of my dad Respectfully. And that's him when he finished. He was very beardy. Very beardy, very tanned. And Not so
1: to be um, creepy about your dad, but very <laughs> Mills and Boone vibe. 70s Mills and Boone.
2: <laughs> oh, he'd be delighted, Daisy, I'll tell him. Um, but yeah, he like broke ribs. He got chased by pirates. It was all quite dramatic. Um, and that was a picture he took, I think, of a storm coming in. So, anyway, I was very proud of it. So, I love
1: that you could conceivably the... have a sort of like a family Quite a mixed book bag at library. I <laughs> know you could, uh, yeah. This could be an amazing selection yeah. for someone under the tree. Um, just yeah. a book, I want these all to look so lovely. Mm. And I should really talk about the books that's I haven't just read.
2: Need to be here um,
1: God, I haven't actually read that one. I am going to could always talk about Diana, but I want to talk about Early Morning by like Catherine
2: Heine, because I love this book so much. I love her. I actually, I didn't love it as much as, as Standard Deviation when I started it. And then the thing happens, which we can't really probably talk mm. about because it's a big, obviously, um, plot point in the book. And um, have you read this, Gav?
3: I'm reading I I'm Standard oh. Deviation
2: at the moment um, so, so this is her, yeah Ali Morgan Riser was that the one is this the follow on was this the second one after she's written short stories she's written short stories Single
1: Carefree Mellow which I mm. read and I really really loved and it's interesting because I think the short stories read like notes for what was to come ah, I've got way, it on my Kindle I think they're quite and they're quite funny
2: but this I think then I absolutely loved like again she's got that ability that we were talking about with Sarah Woman and I think with Meg Mason of like Properly howling with laughter, like rocking the beds, howling with laughter, sort of thing. And then, like, particularly in this one, with what happens, just chest slapping, oh god, moments of. Feeling so sad or it, moved by it's such a, a particular startling, character. But what I
1: think she writes so beautifully is about the goodness of people, and a bit like mm. um, you're talking about the not the novel cure, what is it called the reading cure? The Reading cure. That we just we never know about people ever, and it's the utter utter goodness of I can't remember the main guy's name, but you think he's this sort of you know handsome, strong, oh the shagger, yeah, the one who's a shagger, in and this. you sort of think, oh who gave it Duncan, Duncan, yeah. and then that you just really think. There's uh, something sort of spiritual here, It's I think, true, there's nobody really
2: bad, actually, in either of her novels. And that's quite a relaxing place to be, mm. I think. Even in standard deviation, there's the ex-wife. She's not bad, is no, she? No, she's she's just a bit just, sort of uptight.
3: She's just who she is. Yeah. and um, and, and also has been wronged as well. Mm. So I think her behaviour is pretty sort yeah. of understandable
2: yeah no one's sort of evil i just she's such a genius and that's
1: because i know back to old laurie colwyn that Catherine Heine, i think has written introductions to laurie colwyn it's like a you know a fan and a scholar and that feeling of when of good that. people do bad things or do things that perhaps on paper seem hard to defend mm. but it's the way the world works that mm. puts a person in that position it's very really generous writing i think
2: um oh i hope there's many more to come from her because i just love yeah I actually went to the bookshop. I went to Booksetter Crow before two days before this was out, and said, "Have you got it yet? Have you got it yet?" And he let me have an early copy. It was oh. so exciting! <laughs> like it was Christmas. That
1: is why you must support your local indies, Exactly, everybody.
2: because they're very brilliant. They will hook um, you
1: up. I mean, All right. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to talk about? <gasps> mm, that's
2: that was well. This is the book. This is just was quite important to me because this was um, the best book about egg freezing that I read, oh, which I've recommended yes. to a lot of people, a lot of women who. Have got in touch with me obviously because so I wrote a lot this about egg freezing.
1: Is sorry to interrupt. In her own sweet time, by Rachel Lehman
2: Yes, she's American, and it actually came out in terms of egg freezing and talking about this kind of stuff. It came out six years ago, I think, um, 2015. Um, so a lot of it, a lot of like the medical side of things, is probably a bit dated. But it was there were so many bits in here that as a woman who was thinking about egg freezing, who was 35 and single and weighing up, or 34 and single when I was thinking about it, when I, if did I really want to do it? It was really comforting and there was a lot in here which I took from it so I have recommended it to a lot of women who've contacted me saying I'm thinking about it um, it's a really helpful bit um, and it's a very lovely story about how she sort of weaves her way through the tricky you know, field of being a 30 something, breaking up Meeting someone, maybe this is it. No, she breaks up again. Oh, should I freeze? Should I have a baby by myself? It's yeah, it's really, really moving and lovely. So I recommend that for any women going through it. Oh, what about? What about I, was, yes. I was going
1: to suggest uh, older uh, PG Wodehouse.
2: Oh, well, so
3: that's what I. When I'm sad, Mikey and I read it to each other in bed and laugh. Oh my god, that's me. Oh, want a husband? where one didn't
1: mean do that, Producer Dale? Yeah, <laughs> you, can do that. you guys can
3: yeah. sit and do that. <laughs> Bang, bang um we just like read out bits and I mean, and it's the, you know bits. you know that that game, ex Libris, where you try and write the first line of books we love it, I think yeah. p. G. Woodhouse is the only one that you can't do, like oh. no one can
1: impersonate p. G. Woodhouse, better than p g. woodhouse I think but
3: yeah, no one can do it better than him, like it's completely yeah. you impossible. Would try,
1: and you'd write the sort of the clunkiest yeah. line, and then it his it's something like it was an autumn day.
2: well, listen it's to this, for example, magic. this is so classic. Jeeves placed the sizzling eggs and bee on the breakfast table and Reginald, Kipper, Herring and I licking the lips, squared our elbows and got down to it. Like, you're right, you couldn't... It's magic. You couldn't, you couldn't beat that. So so I, my mum, from one of my birthdays um, a few years ago, she, my grandpa was a massive PG Woodhouse fan. In fact, when I knew I wanted to be a journalist, I wrote a letter to him when I was like a teenager. You wrote a
1: letter to PG Woodhouse? No, 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 no,
2: no, no, to my grandpa. Oh. <laughs> saying like, my mum wrote a letter to PG Woodhouse and she's got it. She's still got a letter, a reply that she carries about in her handbag everywhere with her and it's like, in a sort of safe place and she wrote to him when she was a teenager and he wrote back all about his I think he had Peaks Pekingese dogs and did he even have chickens he was in New York by then anyway she just got this letter from him but I wrote to my grandpa saying I want to be a writer because he was a writer what should I do and he said read everything by P.G. Woodhouse and so we've always had massive piles of these really lovely old like Penguin classic version anyway the other day my, well a couple of years ago my mum had a clear out and so I've got, I've got obviously some more modern ones but I've got old ones as well um, and they're just so wonderful. Oh, I don't
1: know look, these. Loads. These lovely... That's Jeeves in the Offing. And
2: Jeeves it's, I in the I Offing. Think, I'm assuming. Um, when would that have been published? I'm thinking 70s, maybe? Oh, no, first well, month was 1960s, so this would be... Oh, this was in an 80s car. one. Um, I, the ones I love most of all, though, are the um, Emsworth... Uh, Blanding's ones. Those oh, Blandings you're a one. Blanding's girl. I'm a Blanding's girl. Because of Lord M... I think because of Clarence and the pig and, you know, the mishaps that go on...
3: When people were sick at Tatler, we would send them pajamas and a complete set of PG Woodhouse to cheer them up. I was never sick because I don't remember this. No, well, you—you you were clearly never ill, Flora. But too I think I, I think David got sick once and he was home for a couple of weeks, so we sent him posh pajamas and a complete PG Woodhouse to cheer what? him up. What?
2: I should have been sick. That's so <laughs> lovely.
1: Can we have some sort of? freelance alliance where we (laughs) isn't that amazing god
2: that's such a funny thing to do I love it yeah there's just you're right about that thing of I normally have in fact these are all yeah bedside table ones have a stack of them on your bedside table and then you can just basically pick it up doesn't really matter where you start reading to be honest because probably we've all read all of these before and you just pick up and you're straight into the- and every
1: story sort of has the same beats but i think yeah. he's the only writer that can almost write the same story every time and them. you still love it and you're in it yeah. Yeah. and i do often think i just i want to live in a universe where no matter how bad things get before your evening repast there is always you know cocktails and sort of I things to nibble but there's you know the little heaven. little savory things i
2: do, are as important fry <laughs>
3: It's also that it's uh, talking about,
2: we mentioned names earlier. It's also, you know, it's very hard, I think, to beat P G Woodhouse and the names mm. of characters. He's just, it, they make me laugh so much. Um, he's brilliant. Yeah, from Bertie down, really. Aunt, aunt, All those aunts. Now I can't think of any of the names, but anyway.
1: But there is something about the scrapes and sort of no matter how dreadful your day is, you're like, oh, well, you know, he just... Um, he lost all his money at gambling, but he can still go to his club and you know have a big breakfast. Yeah, and he'll get he'll get carried along and sorted out, and at least he's not a dreadful fellow who likes newts.
2: Or have or have a you know hangover cure made by Jeeves. Or you know I love it when Bertie oh. always needs one of those egg yolks. Actually, and I think concoction. I
1: stole a bit of it in insatiable, and I think it got it missed the final edit because it was a bit dramatic. But there's Violet has a hangover, where I think I lifted it from. There's a or oh, no, I know. i referred to the. Bullseye. Um, it's called the drinking, but it's just the, the hangover itself oh, okay. is described in a way where I think she quotes P.G. Woodhouse and oh, says, "Oh, so it's,
2: good, yeah." Because so he Bertie has the, um,
3: tomato juice with the raw egg and the Tabasco.
2: Yeah, and Bertie, you know, obviously often wakes up suffering and Jeeves shimmers in quite often with this thing <laughs> and puts it down and then Bertie See, that would make a hangover okay but, Yeah exactly if you had your ballot shimmering in yeah. and then Bertie bounces out of bed and goes straight to his club and sort of gets back on it it's just, it's just so brilliant yeah he is very very excellent again sort of no evil characters you know the old schema, but nobody really bad Has there
1: ever been a hangover book? What can
3: I just say about standard deviation Yeah, reading it they drink so much you know, and these like cafe. But, but these are like normal kind of adults in it's middle age it's like, Oh,
1: let's get half a bottle of wine out the fridge. It's like masses of martinis and all the time.
3: It's like how did how did how,
1: how he operate? He's going to work every morning.
3: I don't that's
1: what I didn't get. I was like, Wow. That's I don't remember that. I these so, okay. really lavish, lavish, beautiful, thoughtful meals. And yeah. I was like, I've you know, had that I, many I, drinks before. Be I'd be really like, sorry, it. we're
2: having yeah. toast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. scrambled <laughs> eggs. I, I, mean, I was quite
1: interested by the amount of booze they're drinking.
3: But in that's
2: why. That like, th-
1: did we talk about this with Jilly Cooper? Or and that the fantasy of just how how boozy it is, yeah. and how you just you start drinking at lunchtime and yeah. just carry on, and everyone, yeah. and everyone does it at least several times a week, yeah. and no one ever seems to say, "Oh, no actually, no never crying on a Wednesday," which is what happens to me if I've <laughs> drunk three nights in a row. You know. Oh, <laughs> and sometimes they give up, or I think there's um, it might be in Tenders the like night where Dick is actually an alcoholic, but he stops. He he only drinks wine. He Fine stops life, drinking yeah. spirits, and that's a major concession.
2: Tipped over into yeah. Um, right, sorry. No, no, no. Very sorry. I just don't me. remember that but
1: from I think there is a book in um Literary Hangovers and I think we yeah. should get together and compile it.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah. With cures, suggestions, helpful tips. Yeah, mm. actually. Yeah, it could
3: be kind of a two-part, book. it could be like amazing literary drunken moments, yeah. like kind of ma- kind of marathons of drinking yeah. followed by literary hangovers followed by cures.
2: Yeah huge
1: thanks to sophia if you haven't read her yet binge her backlist it's full of joy her latest did you miss me is woman in home's comedy novel of the year it's the story of nell and how unexpected circumstances lead her back to her first love but what's she going to do about her nice but boring boyfriend and the fact that her mother is embarking upon a fling with an italian stallion hugely funny and fun it's the perfect thing to curl up with an easier boxing day hangover you can follow us at whybooked on social media, look out for book recommendations, words of wisdom from old guests and occasional shelfies. We love it when you share the podcast with your friends and thank you so much to everyone who has left a five-star review. It helps other people to discover us and their new favourite book. You can find a list of all the books mentioned by Sophia at acast.com slash booked and check out her selection in our bookshop on bookshop.org. We'll be back next week. For now, I leave you with this from David Starris. I haven't the slightest idea how to change people, but still I keep a long list of prospective candidates just in case I should ever figure it out. See you next time.